One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, I'm not a Pollyanna here, but I'm really about painting a picture that says, let's think about the world differently. And I don't know if you've ever been to our little town here called Yakandanda. The guys in Yakandanda are on their way to being a totally renewable town by 2022. It's really cool. They're producing their own energy. Soon they'll have enough energy for the whole town. Down in Euroa, similar. It's a town that's right at the edge of the grid and has is quite vulnerable to poor supply. So they're fixing it themselves, working alongside industry and really doing something about it. So what I'm doing at the moment is a, a part of this whole participate in your democracy move, which is INDI, it's about doing politics differently, to bring people from all over the nation together to contribute to a discussion paper I've put together. I'm asking people to put in a submission by the 3rd of July and uh, we're going to take a policy proposition to Angus Taylor, Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, and say, we've got a plan for you. We've got some stuff you could say yes to. And all of these people are behind it. That is independent federal member for Indi, Helen Haynes. And this is episode 343 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Today's episode is number 343. Crikey, I've had a lot of guests on this show. It is with Helen Haynes. She is the independent federal member for Indi. means independent. She's not with any particular political party. Great story. She's uh, online, HelenHaynes.org, and also Helen Haynes Indi. That's I-N-D-I. More about Helen in a moment. What is this show? Uh, this show is simply a, a podcast designed to help you make today better than yesterday. Uh, that's it. Something that you hear on this program today will help you go, you know what? I'm going to give that a shot or never thought about it that way. And then tonight, as you're drifting off to lullaby bedtime, you'll go, you know what? Today was kind of better than it was the day before. And that's all I'm here to do. Every episode, you'll hear something you need to hear. And I'm here every Monday, every Friday. Monday, I speak with the guest. Friday, I speak with you. As I said, there's 342 other interviews to listen to, but I'm also here every Friday having a chat with you. And then thanks to everybody that got in touch to um, throw in some support about Friday's episode. I did get a bit deep there. I appreciate the feedback on that one. 
if you, I got real weird into all down the the atomic connection between every single one of us, between you, between me. Yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, if you've never listened to this episode, this show before, hi, I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a TV guy from, I guess, Sydney, Australia is where I live now uh, with my family, with my wife, with our, our two beautiful kids and our, our two barky dogs. Their names are Frankie and Lilo, but we call them Licky and Barky. Well, actually, Barky and Licky. Frankie's the Barky one. Uh, he's a jumpy young lad, jumpy young lad, but I can't get him on the SSRIs like me. Or more can I? I don't know. Do they make SSRIs for dogs? Huh, I'll see if I can find some. He's a jumpy kid. Lilo's all right, though, but far out, man. Frank, woof. Short fuse on that fella. Short fuse. Um, yeah, we've got two kids, and I work on telly, and I, I make this podcast. I write, I write books, and um, yeah, I'm here every week. Thanks for being here. Send Osher email at gmail.com is where you can find me if you want to write me an email. I'd love to see what you're looking at. I just love it. I don't know why. I just love to see what you're looking at when you listen to this podcast. I listen to podcasts when I'm on the bike or, or when I'm training or when I'm doing laundry or when I'm cleaning up after the baby, after everyone's gone to sleep. That's what I like to listen to podcasts. That's what I, I adore listening to podcasts and filling my brain full of heavy shit when I'm, when I'm either lifting something heavy or, or cleaning up or, or whatever it is I'm doing around the house. Um, but I'd love to see what you're doing when you're listening to a podcast. So send us your email at gmail.com is where you can find me or tag me on Instagram. Haley, who looks after my social, will make sure I see that. I don't have Instagram on my phone. There's more about that in other episodes. If you want to know, you can go back and have a listen. But please, the, the very best thing you can do for me is to rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you can rate, review, and subscribe or follow on, Insta, on, on Spotify. That really, really helps me. But tell a mate, tell a friend, tell someone click share in this app and then share it with somebody, someone who might be feeling a bit freaked out about climate change and climate inaction, send them this episode. Just say, hey, you know that thing we were talking about? Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's scary as fuck. Have a listen to this. There's people like Helen who are doing great work and maybe it'll make you feel better. And um, yeah, that'd be really great. I'd be really grateful if you could do that for me. Really, really grateful. Are you okay? Are you good? You, you, you're working out? You, you're walking where you can? You're keeping the house tidy? You're doing what you can do? I've got big news. Oh, yeah, I've got big news. I've got a second edition of my book coming out. It's coming out in just a couple of weeks. I don't have an exact release date, but I actually have a copy of it on my desk. It's the updated version of Back After the Break, the book that I wrote about what it's like to live with a different brain and, and struggling what it's like to have quite struggled significantly with mental health and then you know what it's like to kind of roughly get through that and then come out the other side. The updated edition features a new chapter. It's got a new forward from me and a new afterward from me. Uh, I wrote a, a bunch of new stuff and Audrey wrote a whole chapter. My wife wrote a chapter about what it's like to live with someone who's struggling with mental health issues uh, and indeed mental illness at one point. And I cannot thank her enough. She got real honest and I'm really, really grateful, but it's a really important thing to be able to share that because I know that we are not alone in that. She is in love with somebody that has a brain that sometimes fucking plays tricks on him. And she has such an extraordinary way with words. She has a great way of writing. And I, th I felt it was really powerful the way, you know, she's spoken in the past on this show about what it's like to live with me and that she could write it down. And she's, you know, she's covered a whole bunch of new stuff, obviously, since Wolfie's been born. 
It's great. It's really great. So I'll, I'll let you know where you can maybe pre-order that book and if there's some events coming up and hopefully I'm going to be doing some online stuff around launching. Hard to launch a book in a pandemic. You can't go to bookstores and do in-stores. You can't do that stuff anymore. So I'm going to try and, you know, pull some stuff together around the around the new content and um, yeah, it'd be really helpful. If the, if the book, if you've read my book and it helped you, this is an opportunity to maybe give that book to somebody else and then grab this one because there's some new stuff in there um, that could really, really help you and help others indeed. I know a lot of people bought my book to give it as a gift to someone who if they themselves felt that they were dealing with shit and their partner didn't understand what they were going through, they gave them my book to go, read this, just read this. Because as I say in the book, I'm not a special snowflake, all right? I have what a lot of people have. I have, you know weird generalized anxiety. I have obsessive compulsive disorder and I, I dealt with both passive and active suicidal ideation at one point. And I guess I've, I've got an ability to write it down in a way that is accessible. And I know for a fact that it helped a lot of people understand um, the people that gave them the book, people like their, their children or their parents or their brothers and sisters or their lovers, their friends gave them the book and said, just, just read this. This will help under- explain why I'm weird on some days. Anyway, um, have you been okay? Have you been getting the exercise you need to get done? We talked about this on Friday. Give your body the gift of those hormones, man. Get that in there. Get those endorphins happening. Get the dopamine. Get that serotonin. Get it from a healthy spot. Don't get it from clicking through Instagram. You know, get the endorphins happening in your body. I'm back on the kettlebells again, which is good. I'm back on the bike, which is great. Fire out bike was hard this morning. Holy shit. I did a thing called over-unders, which is a... Uh, basically going, you know, when you, if you're training or if you're, you know, there's a point where you can go, all right, this is hard, but I could probably keep going here. And then you go up, that's when you're in your, your aerobic threshold and you go up above that. And then the lactic acid starts to build up. You're like, okay, I can punch this one out, but I can't do this forever. And your heart rate just starts to soar. And you basically in this workout, you go above and below that point, 10 reps. Holy shit. Had to put on this epic Viking medal to get through that. <laughs> but I do recommend it because I feel great today. I feel great because of it. I really do. And that's the, that's the best part. You know, you're punching through this stuff knowing that this really hurts right now, but I'll live the rest of the day with this high that my body, you know, I've, I've squeezed these hormones out that make my body feel great and make my brain feel great and allow me to be resilient and malleable and flexible in my thinking. And I need that. And I know that if you're anything like me, you might need that too. And, it, and, and it's free. You just go and do it. Just go for a walk, do some squats, whatever. You can grab it. We've been cleaning the shit out of our place. <laughs> Holy moly. Because we kind of, you know, like the, you move into a house and you just put everything down and then you're like, oh, we've just got to live and then we've got kids and like there's a box of stuff that we just put there and then we unpack that box and it's been sitting on that shelf. It's in the wrong place in the house. You know, practically on a flow state, like a flow way of using things, it's in the wrong spot, but it's just been there and that's where we've got used to it being. And we've been reworking and reorganizing everything and it's been really good, but I've been throwing it. So if you live near me, I'm going to farm them out to the Vinnies around me. There's a few Vinnies. I'm going to try and, there's a lot of shit coming to Vinnies. Keep your eye on them because there's some stuff showing up from here. That's for sure. Shit's about to get real. Wolfie is epic. The baby's great. He's teething at the moment. But he's doing all the right stuff. He's 10 months old. He's pulling himself up to standing. He's, you know, turns his head when he hears his name called. Got one or two signs happening. He's got a few bit of sign language. He's got the finished. He can do finished. Does that every now and again. He's getting bottle. 
as well. That's really helpful, getting a baby to learn that stuff. And um, he's taking steps as you hold his, you put your fingers out like a pair of like ape hangers, Jonesy calls them, the kind of motorbike handlebars that, you know, you put your arms in the air. So if you put your fingers up like that and walk backwards, he will walk with you. So it's all going on, man. It's all going on. Look, I'm about to get to my guest, but before we get to my guest, I wanted to tell you about another episode that you may be interested in. Helen Haynes is an extraordinary, extraordinary woman with a great, powerful story. And if if great stories of great women doing great things is something that you're in the mood for today, perhaps after this episode, scroll on back through your podcast feed and jump on to episode 200. It's from September 2017, and it is a fantastic chat with the epic Fiona O'Loughlin. By the time I was ready for rehab, and I'd lost the lot, you know. My intention was to work out how to live with being this unhappy. Oh. Uh, That's what I thought the best outcome was. Yeah. Uh, okay, you have to live in this head. Find a way. Okay, I'll go here and I'll stay there until I work it out. I had no idea that there was that four-letter word called hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chowing down on it now. Yeah. I love it. So, folks who are listening who might have heard something in what you've said and gone, you know what, that sounds remind me of mm. a little part of myself. Well, what would you say? You're not a bad person trying to be good. You're a sick person trying to be well. That is episode 200 with Fiona O'Loughlin. I highly recommend it. It's 143 episodes ago, 142 anyway. <laughs> All right, let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Helen Haynes is the independent MP for the Victorian seat of Indi. She started working life as a registered nurse before making a career as a midwife. She's got a background in epidemiology, in public health, and she holds a doctoral degree in medical science. She is a smart cookie. Helen's story really is something else. I cannot wait to get into it, but The federals, if you're not from Australia, in America, you call it the district. I don't know what you call it in the UK, but it's the the Houses of Parliament in Australia. We've got two Houses of Parliament. We have the lower house and the upper house. And in the lower house, your seat represents a certain geographical area in the country. And uh, her seat is one of the largest in the country. It's kind of northeast of Melbourne. It encompasses the Victorian Alps, so it's largely unpopulated but really got massive, heavily hit in the uh, bushfires over the summer. And for forever, it was a you know, nailed-in, rusted-on conservative seat, all right? They call themselves the Liberal Party, but they're not liberal. They are very conservative. It's not like American liberals. They are the opposite. Anyway, so it's a traditionally very conservative electorate. And Helen is the, it's the first time in history in Australia that two independent MPs have followed each other in the same seat. Uh, she won the election in the, in, the, in the end of 2019 and she was elected against all manner of opposition. She was elected on a platform of strong action on climate change and revitalization of democracy. Now, look, you know me, you've listened to this show, you know what kind of person I am, you know what makes me tick. That's all I like to talk about. <laughs> so when her people reached out to me, and I'm really grateful that our podcast is at a point now when people like Helen's people reach out 
to me to come and get on this podcast because it, it goes to show that the support that you have given me as a listener to this podcast has put us in a position where we are now a destination for someone like Helen to talk robustly and with authority about what it is she does. And I'm, I'm really grateful to hold, be holding that position more and more. And I'm, I couldn't be more grateful for all the work that you have put into it and, and, and my team have put into it, making our show what it is that we can be that. And so, of course, look, when I heard, hey, you want to talk with Helen Haynes? What, the lady who's like really into climate change and, you know, revitalization of democracy? Uh, fuck yeah. So anyway, Helen's on the show today. Now, a bit of a story about this. We were supposed to chat, oh, I can't remember, I think it was like three o'clock. We were supposed to chat. No, 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 we were supposed to sit at two. Uh, Wolfie goes down for a nap at 1.30, normally till 3 p.m. So I'm like, okay, honey, Wolf's going to get Wolfie in bed. We're going to get Wolfie in bed, and then I'm going to go downstairs and do this podcast, and by the time I'm done, Wolf will be up. Anyway, one thing led to another, and um, Audrey actually put him down into sleep, and he'd been asleep for about 15 minutes, and Audrey was slaughtered because he's, 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 he's fighting a one-man war against his gums. He's, he's teething right now, and he's just it was awake all night, and Audrey was up with him, and she was totally busted. She's like, I'm just going to try and catch a nap while he's asleep. So she had closed her eyes for about three minutes. I tried to get him back to sleep. I tried to get him back to sleep before two o'clock. Spent about 15 minutes, you know, doing my best. I'm like, I'm going to have to go downstairs. I've got an MP on the, you know, they're busy people. I cannot miss this. So I'm like, baby, I'm so sorry. Hold wolf. Anyway, one thing led to another. I got downstairs and I told this to Helen. I said, Audrey's upstairs. She got baby on him, on her. And, and she goes, go and grab him. I used to be a midwife. Go and grab him. So anyway, I ran upstairs, grabbed Wolf, and Wolf sat on my lap. And for an hour and seven minutes, the whole time I chatted with Helen, Wolfie sat on my lap and played with my headphones and giggled and gooed and waved at her and played peekaboo under my jumper and all kinds of things. And it was freaking awesome. It's the first time I've, I've done a podcast like that with, I've never done a two-on-one podcast, all right? I've done a one-on-two, but never a two-on-one. And... Uh, it was so nice. It was just so nice because clearly Helen, you know, she's got a great experience as a midwife. And any, anyone, if you're listening and you you knew a midwife or you are a midwife or you know midwives are very, very special people. She's got that no nonsense, no messing about, but also this great amount of empathy and compassion and like as a baby, just being a baby. And it was great. I was so proud of Wolf. He started to get the shits towards the end and that's fair enough because he was, you know, coming up to, it was coming up to his time to eat, which it is right now. So I better jet, but it was great. So you're going to hear a lot of wolf giggling. You're going to hear a lot of wolf slapping my headphones. You're going to hear a lot of him trying to steal stuff off the desk, but it's all a part of it and it's brilliant and I adore it. And I'm so grateful that Helen was cool with it because it made this episode probably one of the favorite episodes I've ever done. Um, you can find Helen online. Uh, she does speak in this show. She's at helenhaines.org, H-E-L-E-N-H-A-I-N-E-S.org. Very importantly, she is quite open about the ability for us as a community to contribute to the community power plan that she's trying to put in place in Indi. And even you may not live in Indi, but you can have input into what it is that she's putting in. Because let me tell you this, right? If they get it right, then there's a precedent for the rest of us. And so it's in all of our interest that Helen gets this bill over the line. You've got until the 3rd of July to contribute. Go to helenhaines.org to check it out. Have a read. If it's for you, get on board. H-E-L-E-N-H-A-I-N-E-S.org. You can find her online, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Helen Haynes, Indi, I-N-D-I. Let's go. Me, Wolfie and Helen. Enjoy. 
Helen, thank you so much for taking the time. Apologies <laughs> <laughs> set at all sides by the iniquities of of technological everything and 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 we have a special guest on the show. Wolfgang is joining us and. Uh, <laughs> I said I'm a bit late today because he was he's supposed to be asleep right now and Audrey's absolutely oh, yeah. she's slaughtered and she's like I'll just take ten minutes on the couch as soon as I like okay bye I'm going downstairs to do a podcast I can hear him yeah he knows they know that you know they just they have a little internal button that says awake now I think yeah he's at the stage where I'm guessing he's brain is just exploding at about a billion neurons a day. So sleep must be just boring, you know? Yeah. He's very gorgeous, Osha. He's just lovely. And he wants to pull off your glasses and your headphones. And Oh, yeah, he is. He's not interested in any of the toys that I've brought him. He just wants to grab at microphones and all kinds of things. So uh, we'll persevere until he absolutely cracks it. And then we'll go. But look, I'm really grateful that I could speak with you today. I was so excited when your team reached out so that we could have a chat because, as you no doubt know, I speak a lot on this show about climate action and democratic reform and mental health. And when I saw uh, the email come in from your team, I'm like, well, there's somebody that ticks all those boxes. That's a bit exciting. (laughs) Yeah, fancy that. And she's found herself in the federal parliament. Isn't that amazing? So tell me, I believe you were born in Colac, is that right? Yeah, I was born in the Colac Hospital. I don't know where you're from, Osha, but Colac's down in the southwest of Victoria. It's pretty windy and pretty cold. And, uh, yeah, I I grew up uh, on a dairy farm down there with four brothers and left home at 18, went off to the big smoke then. But that's where I began. It's a great spot down there. Did you go straight into nursing? Yeah, I did. Um, It was a kind of the thing to do back then. I'm quite old, you know, oh, I'm uh, I'm 58. So uh, You're not quite old. You're barely 10 years older than me. <laughs> You're hardly quite old. Yeah, but there was a bit of a family history of leaving the farm and going off to being a nurse if you were a, a young woman. So I, I uh, not being much of a radical at the time, <laughs> I did uh, follow that pathway. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was terrific, though. It was great life training. Nursing is fantastic life training. When did the, uh, when did the <laughs> radical show up, Helen? <laughs> Probably as I went out the driveway and turned left towards <laughs> Melbourne, I reckon. <laughs> and and I can, look, I can only imagine like dairy farm, rural Victoria, the one daughter, lots of brothers. I can only imagine. You know, we can, we all, all have an idea of what that might have looked like in the in the sixties and seventies. So, what does radical then look like? Yeah, well, you know, it was radical just to leave um, in, in one regard. What do you mean you're not getting married at 17? <laughs> no, it, look, uh, no, my version of radical is pretty mild, I have to say. But when you do grow up in a, a rural environment and your outside influences are the local convent school that you attend and the footy matches and netball matches on a on a weekend and the, the local paper and a bit of TV and radio, there's, uh, there's not too much to corrupt you, let's say. But, yeah, look, certainly heading off to Melbourne, uh, moving into a nurse's home, that's all, you know, many stories from that period. Uh, which are pretty funny and you don't really want to hear. But, you know, the best part, I think, is being completely and utterly immersed in the humanity that is a big, major public teaching Right. And I guess, you know, there's only so much that you can be exposed to in uh, regional Australia and then suddenly to 
be exposed to not only kinds of people, but people that look different, people that have different backgrounds, people who can't speak English, people who have all kinds of socioeconomic spectrum that you may not have seen in your town. That might have come as a, that might have been a bit full on at first. Yeah, you're sure it was. But, you know, I'm, I uh, was blessed with a curiosity gene at birth. Uh, so I found that super interesting and uh, I really, really enjoyed that period. It was pretty tough in lots of ways. They work you hard as a young student nurse. Yeah, but it was great fun and, and you just share that whole adventure with a uh, cohort of others. So lifelong friends I made there and you're absolutely right, I was exposed to cultures and languages and yeah. people I, I never knew about. Yeah, really, really great training. But I think more than anything I was exposed to the full spectrum of life and death and that helps you put things into perspective, you know. I, I uh, Many people who... I've worked with in, in areas outside of healthcare say, you know, it takes a lot to make you think that something's quite a disaster, Helen, doesn't it? And I, and I think that's true. To answer your question, I grew up in Brisbane, but wasn't born there. I, I came here, both my parents were doctors and they speak of their time. And it's very different now, obviously, as far as workloads on students mm. and workloads on people who are learning the practice of, of being a doctor and being a healthcare professional. But my mom talks about when she was doing her early residencies, like doing two days without going to sleep, just going straight for it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that might have been how my big brother showed up because her and my dad knew each other <laughs> in the same teaching hospital in Stoke-on-Trent and they'd basically back then they'd just find a spare bed and crash. <laughs> yeah, as my mum spoke about as well, as that, and it's something that definitely grounds you and... And it was something like towards the end. Of, she only actually, like yesterday's actually the, the anniversary of her passing about three years ago now. She died of um, mm. uh, my, multiple myeloma. Oh, that's incredible. So did my mother. Oh, right then. It's a tough way to, oh, what's well, any way to go, but it was, mm. a, it was a tricky way to go. But mm, I'm sorry for you and your family. Well, I'm, I'm, it's, we all, you know, we all remember this part, the wolfy part, but we all forget that that part's waiting for every single one of us and we try to, you know, pretend it doesn't exist, you know, pretend that the, the death part isn't coming for every single person we know. But I've got to say, Helen, mum's experience as a young doctor when, as you just described, she saw just life and death every single day, it meant that she wasn't so afraid of it, you know, and she definitely mm. knew what it was and she was aware of it and she saw that it was a part of life and she approached it in a very different way and I can only hope that I have that amount of grace and dignity because she always used to say, she's like, oh, a dead body's just a dead body. The person's not there. It's fine. You know? And we were like, you know, we're kids going, huh? And she's like, honestly. She was an anaesthetist, yeah. you know, so she'd seen more than mm. enough. Mm. Not not from her inability to be a good anaesthetist, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, I think uh, I think it's lovely that that you can describe her as accepting that with such grace. And I, and I think... Yeah, I hope I can too. And I know for sure, like you just said, I know for sure that's where we all end up. Yeah. And and again, I think that's a real gift to know that, yeah. to get on with life, to be conscious that this is a very finite thing. So uh, love the ones you yeah. live with and make it count. And there's really no time to faff about. Yeah. I was saying to Audrey last night, it's unfortunately some of that thing that my mum had rubbed off on me and I was brushing my teeth and I'm like, you know, at one point, and it'll be while I know you. At one point, I will have less days in front of me than I have behind me. She's like, come on, we're trying to get like 10 minutes to bedtime. What are you doing? 
If you ever had an idea that you were going to hold your fire and maybe not go for that thing I'm going to go for today, just remember stuff like that and you're, you know, you're always going to go for it. You turned left out of the driveway and left Colac and went to Melbourne, but then you went a fair bit further. How does Sweden come into your adventure? Yeah, like I think um, it's pretty random, isn't it? You know, I, you know, did a pretty traditional thing, went off and became a nurse. You know, did the backpacker thing around the world, came back, became a midwife, uh, fell in love with a bloke from the country who was an ag scientist, came up to northeast Victoria. So it was kind of easy for me to come back to the country, a different part of the of rural Australia, but back to the country. And then I, you know, I thought after having a couple of kids, I wouldn't mind doing a bit more study. So I enrolled in a Master's of Public Health and I was reading a research paper one day and I thought, gee, this stuff sounds really interesting. And it came from Uppsala University. So it was back in the days of dial-up internet. So, you know, I took the plunge and, you know, do, 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 and um, <laughs> sent an email. I think I had a, might have had a little baby on my lap about the same age as Wolfgang and I thought I'll just write to these researchers and say I really like your paper, interesting stuff. How does a person like me get to work with somebody like you? And uh, to my amazement, uh, they emailed me back and said, yay, why don't you come over here and, you know, we're doing this uh, really interesting work and maybe you can come over and work with us, maybe do some studies with us. So um, that seemed like kind of crazy and completely out of my range living on a small farm in Wangaratta that I would go and do some study at Uppsala University in Sweden. But I talked to my supervisors at University of New South Wales where I was enrolled. They said, no, you can't do that. That's not possible. Anyway, funnily enough, the Swedes kept emailing University of New South Wales and said, why don't you send this student over? We'd really like to have her. And eventually, within a couple of months, people said yes. And I got a phone call in November or an email, I think, actually, saying, can you be here in January? So, yeah, we packed up our three kids and uh, went across to Sweden. I did my studies there. They asked me to stay on and do a doctorate. I said, no, I can't do that. Got to come back to Australia. They kept asking me and eventually I was able to say yes. So yeah, then I returned off and on and uh, finished a doctorate in medical science and graduated with PhD from Uppsala in Sweden. And it was pretty random, but it was fantastic and pretty much, well, it did change my life. What an adventure. What an av- How old were your kids at the time? It was good for our kids. Well, by the time I finished my PhD, my youngest, I uh, was then finishing year 12. So I pressed send on my thesis about the time she was uh, finishing her final final VCE subject. We were both on the kitchen table for years together, really, working. And wow. Yeah, but when we went there, our kids were quite little. They all were, all, all were at school. Our youngest was seven and our oldest was 13. Wow. Yeah, they loved it. You know, they loved it. It was great. They, You know, they hated the pickled herring, but they pretty much <laughs> loved everything else about Sweden. What an absolutely wonderful adventure to have with a young family. I mean, when else can you do it, really, to have that time together and build that that experience of a family and build those memories together? Yeah, it's great. Great, I should. And have that cultural adventure and, and really be exposed to you know, a completely different way of, you know, we get this idea that, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of white, they eat food, they have a toilet, they have a shower, they go to bed. They're the same as us. No, they're not. The life is completely different. The way they look at life is completely different. I've, I know some Swedes. The way they approach life is so different. And they say the same about us. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And as you know, you know, they've got a social democratic system and a, a really strong public health system, similar, you know, which is quite similar to ours, except in the way we deal with pandemics, I might say. But uh <laughs> Yeah, plenty that unites us, but also plenty that's quite different. 
No, I learned a lot and, um, yeah, from there I've done lots of research with those guys since. Well, the thing about your research that did, did fascinate me, this is a, um, this is Audrey's second child, Wolfie is Audrey's second child. Georgia is 16 now, taller than me, powerful young woman, extraordinary human being. It's an honour to watch her begin to tackle the world. And um, as we got closer and closer to Wolfie's birth, Audrey and I went off and did a um, – we went and did a course in um, – it was called Calm Birth down in Mittagong. And yeah. I, I do know that you were, did a fair amount of research into fear of childbirth and not only fear of childbirth in – in expectant mothers, but fear of childbirth in in fathers. And uh, what is it that drew you towards that? Yeah, so again, like most people who do research, you start off with one research question and you find yourself going down multiple rabbit holes and pop up somewhere else with some information that takes you in a direction kind of in in pursuit of the original question. But for me, I was, uh, my primary research question was around uh, why is it that in Australia we have such a high rate of caesarean section compared to a country like Sweden, which has a very similar public health system, similar kind of levels of healthy, well women? Um, what is it about it that's different? And, yeah, in the end I found myself doing lots of interviews with men and women, undertook a large survey study in both Sweden and Australia and, and found that, in fact, there's a lot of, there was a lot of anxiety that drove decisions uh, about cesarean sections and cesarean's a life-saving operation I mean there's no denying there's so many people who've been uh, whose lives are full and complete and healthy babies because of cesarean section but there are there are a proportion that are not considered medically indicated so I was really curious about that and uh, found that Lots of women, well, all women are scared to some degree. You wouldn't be, you'd be crazy if you weren't a bit. Like this is fear of the unknown stuff, particularly first-time birth. Uh, And then there's a group of women who'd had terrible birth experiences with one of their babies and were afraid to go back. And then there's people who have bubbling levels of anxiety about life. And if you suffer from uh, some anxiety, like an anxiety disorder or some depression, then you're more likely to be really afraid of giving birth. And, and much of that's around control and around feeling that you you can make the decisions you need to make and that you can predict the future to some degree. So childbirth's a pretty difficult place to predict the future. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's where it took me there. Then uh, once I'd, I'd worked with a lot of women, I found that there were quite a few blokes who found this pretty difficult too. Because Audrey, she had both of her kids, no drugs, mm. and both times, most definitely the second time around, she was well and truly the minority, well and truly. Mm. And, you know, that's why I was kind of interested in what you, uh, you know, were studying. It's like... You know, as you mentioned, I've got friends who they would not have a child or a mother if it wasn't for a cesarean section. You know, the emergency Caesar saved both mm. of their lives and it is extraordinary surgery and incredible procedure and unbelievable technology when you think about what actually happens. It's mind-blowing that, yeah. that it can be done. What is it, do you think, that ah, brought people, you know, to that to that point where... Is it because it gets bigger in your head and then you kind of go into this filter bubble of only looking for things online about people who've had bad stories and then you you don't ever know that labour can be, yeah, intense but okay? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's many things and, and for some folks and increasingly so, there's a disconnection from nature. There's a disconnection from the cultural stories of birth. Many families uh, live far away from their mothers, sisters, aunts and they haven't uh, had contact with what is essentially a, a very natural process. Mm. I think that there, well, there's a well-known psychological tenant that bad is stronger than good. So when people hear negative stories, that has a more powerful impact on their thought process than a positive story. So it's much easier to tell a, a gripping and horrifying story of childbirth than a very simple, straightforward, no drama story. So there's absolutely that. Of course, we've got media that feeds into that, contributes to those stories. Yeah. So um, women and their, and their partners are very exposed to a narrative of childbirth that is rather dramatic. So there's, there's certainly that. I think also we have a tendency as as affluent Western culture to wish to control any risk in our life and to have certainty. So for some folks, being able to eliminate the uncertainty of, of uh, the date of birth, of the level of pain uh, that may be there and of, of uh, what the outcome will be seems an attractive notion. But I, I would want to be really clear, we're not talking about most people thinking that way, but it's a contributing factor to the, the issue that, um, you know, we have a caesarean section rate in this country of uh, over 30% and in some private hospitals, indeed, it's uh, it's more than 50%. So wow. uh, that's a lot. I mean, the World Health Organization uh, suggests it should be in, in a healthy population around 15%. So. There's a bit of stuff going on there, uh, for sure. So it was really interesting. But, you know, the best part of any of the kind of research I do is getting to talk to people and understanding what's going on in their lives. And, and it was really good, I must say. I, you know, there's many conversations I've had with women over the years as a midwife, um, but to really focus some attention on talking to men um, when they're part of uh, this story. And, you know, in the old days, of course, blokes didn't get a look in, did you? You know, like yeah, you, right. you never went to an antenatal visit and you certainly weren't allowed in a birthing room yeah. and you're very peripheral to the whole story. But we expect men to be very much engaged now. So I was really curious to know from blokes, if we expect them to be engaged, how do we treat you in the health system? What's it like for you? Does anybody ever ask you how you're feeling? And I did some work actually asking men about their emotional health and found that, you know, around one in five men were suffering from anxiety, a clinical anxiety during the antenatal period. And, and then it struck me, gosh, we know that we've got high rates of mental distress across our population. We know that lots of blokes turn up to um, antenatal classes and antenatal visits with their partner and we never ask them how they're feeling. What a missed public health opportunity. Yeah. We should be talking to men. Yeah. I'd been off meds for, goodness, like 18 months, I think, right before Wolf was born and it was pretty much around this time last year. We were Wolfie's 10 months today and it was... <laughs> We're at, we're at this point last year when Audrey just she just took one look at me and she's like, "You're not coping. Uh, you may not want to admit it, but I can see. I'm going to need you around for this baby. You got to go get back on your meds." And I, hello, I didn't want to I didn't want to admit it. You know, he's waving. So he's waving at Helen right now. I didn't want to admit it, but as you know, when you're in it, you can't tell, right? But sure enough, I knew enough to listen to her and uh, the next day I went to my psychiatrist and made an appointment and went to go see a psychiatrist the next day and thankfully he was open and I said, hey, man, Audrey told me this. He's like, yeah, and she's right. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, and great. I'm so grateful that I did, yeah. though. I'm so grateful that I did because it meant that I was able to be there in the room and I wasn't absent. I was able to be present. I wasn't just so wrapped up in anxiety and fear that I was just doing what I normally do, which is kind of robot through the whole thing and just emotionally disconnect from mm-hmm. everything and just kind of motor through because these are the things that I think someone who is doing this should do. <laughs> it's just how I was operating. Uh, yeah. You know, Ocean, that, you know, that's just the best decision you ever made. And I can tell just by looking at the way you're interacting with your beautiful little wolfie there that you are really engaged with him. And, and we know that in um, parents who are suffering from uh, emotional distress, whether it be a real depression or, or an anxiety, that, that actually that has an impact on their kid. And yeah. uh, if we want to get on top of mental illness across our population, then we need to be starting right at the beginning. We need to make sure that parents have got the support that they need, that we recognise when they've got distress and we do something about it. Because, you know, again, there's been plenty of really good studies done observing parents who have got some mental health issues and how they interact with their children. And yeah, it has a long-term impact. So you did yourself a great big favor. By listening <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I've got to say that I was grateful to be on the meds cuz, you know, that first time you get a sniff of their head, your brain just explodes in oxytocin. And I've, I've, I've learned, Maggie Dent told me that I've learned that at the birth of the first baby, there's some sort of pheromonal signal that hits your brain and it actually triggers new brain growth no matter how old you are as a man. Your first baby, you get a, like a boost. And I was able to kind of ride that wave, thankfully. The meds were there and we, we drew some new neuronal pathways which were in a positive direction and that was, uh, that was really handy. So how does... How does someone go from being an expert in midwifery to being an expert in microgrids? You go from I know. You go from working with mums and dads and babies and bringing all these children into the world and then renewable energy. I know. Head of this renewable energy situation. Uh, you know, you've got to have you've got to have neuroplasticity. This is the thing. <laughs> yes. And you know, yes. I reckon maybe I sniffed enough babies' heads just to give me um, Fair enough. <laughs> Someone ought to bottle the smell of a baby's head, that's for sure. But, you know, for me, all these things are connected in a kind of a strange way. Uh, yeah. So, like, I really care. I really do care about people and about the planet. And, you know, when you've been there at the beginning of life and at the end of life, you know that there's a great big piece in between for some people longer than others. Um, but it really matters. Uh, what really matters is quality of life. And our planet's in real trouble. 
And uh, it just kind of wasn't okay to me to think that I could just stay in my very own comfortable world doing some really interesting research and I think um, maybe making a difference to people's lives in that way but not thinking about the globe as well. Um, But, you know, I hadn't planned on being a politician but once I became a politician, my community really told me very strongly that What You know, when I asked them around what does real action on climate change look like, I got a very strong message that it's about practical action and it's about us taking some control of our own environment and doing stuff that we know uh, works and that means that we can paint a positive picture, really, of the opportunity that climate change can bring to us. And as a a rural Australian, I, I know that... You know, we're in the middle of a renewable energy boom and uh, if we play our cards smart, uh, that's a boom in opportunities, jobs, economic development for rural and regional Australia. And I'm really optimistic that if we've got the policy settings right around stuff like uh, microgrids, which are part of a story of community energy, then that's something that I can do as a parliamentarian. That's something practical I can do and actually make change on. Uh, so I had to educate myself about that. You know, I really yeah. did. I didn't know too much about microgrids. I mean, I've got a great big whacking big solar panels out in my paddock and I've got a battery in the shed and, uh, you know, I can do all that. But I, I needed to learn a lot more about this community energy. Your electorate is, it's one of the biggest in the country, but it's also a lot of it is, on you know, mountainous bits of the, the world where it's a bit hard to live. The Most of the Victorian mm. Alps are within within your electorate. And uh, as mm. a result, you have an electorate that is extraordinarily vulnerable to climate change. How did you guys yeah. go over the, the summer? Yeah, so we are really vulnerable. And in fact, just prior to the beginning of summer, I had a meeting with all the emergency chiefs from the region, pulled together a, a meeting and uh, the fire chiefs gave us a really interesting presentation and one of the things they told us was that this area, northeast Victoria, is up there with one of the most fire vulnerable regions of the world. It's very similar to California, for example. Uh, so I know we're really volatile. I also know that with climate change projections that temperatures across Victoria are likely to, to rise anywhere between one, you know, 0.5 and 1.3 and, and that would just make us more vulnerable. So... Yeah, we got hit. We got hit badly over summer up in the northeast corner, especially up around the Murray River, Corriong, Walwa, that area. Very severe bushfire impact and through the Alpine region, up through our mountains, very badly. So everything that I guess those fire chiefs warned me about that day came to pass. And of course, you may recall, I'm sure you do, 10 years ago, in this electorate too, down around King Lake, Marysville, Black Saturday and highest uh, just appalling death rate down there. So, you know, I take this really seriously. So I think one of the things that, apart from the obvious devastation of the fires, the loss of property, we were fortunate. There was not direct loss of life in my electorate, but right on the border, people lost their lives either side. So it's, you know, it makes no difference. Borders make no difference. What I also realised and and was brought home to me was the incredible vulnerability of these communities in terms of their electricity supply and their telecommunications. So these tiny little places were cut off for, they were cut off from all communications, Um, no electricity supply, the hospital had to be evacuated, elderly people at risk, pregnant women were bussed out. You know, we could not look after them for weeks because these communities I was so exposed. And again, you know, there's remedies for this. And one of the remedies for this is community energy. So it is around the capacity of a small town 
to have their banks of solar panels on on public buildings or on domestic houses, wherever they may be, to have a community battery and to be completely self-sufficient. So um, I think there's a real opportunity there. And I think if we needed to be convinced of this, then no better scenario than what we just went through over summer. When it comes to, um, let's just see if this is going to work. I just saw a few of the cues there. I'm just going to see if he's, he's he was on the on the left ear. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah was, that's a sign, isn't it? He was, he was he was on the on the left ear, and he had a bit of an eyebrow, a bit of an eye rub. You want to give it a shot? For those listening little... at home, this is a conversation about Wolfie having a little sleep in Osha's arms. Yeah, now. he should have he should have been asleep a little while ago. You want to give it a shot? You want to try? You want to give it a shot? No, there's too many things, too many things to play with. You got your little blankie. You want to have it a go? You want to have a go? A little sleep? You want to go or no? No? No. No. Too exciting. Everything's too exciting. Too exciting. Everything's too exciting. All right, light back on. Back we go. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, for a start, look, I'm I'm grateful that your community, that people were okay and, and, and there, there was no loss of life within your community, though that's not to say that the loss of life that did happen across that summer was just, you know, horrendous, yeah. uh, as, yes, was was. The, as was the loss of habitat uh, and the loss of mm-hmm. <sighs> hundreds of years of stored carbon <laughs> in the tree trunks and, and everything, you know. It's just... The gravity of it is just impossible to... I, I don't have English words that I can put in an order that would effectively communicate how horribly bad our summer was. Yet what you've just described is, like, that is a familiar climate change story, and it's a climate change story that uh, certainly sidelined me for years and can often turn people off. But you're talking about mm. opportunity and an opportunity for prosperity and opportunity for independence and opportunity for greater community resilience through things like having an energy supply that is independent of a transmission line that might be a couple of hundred K long. It's an, yeah. en- an energy source that is right there, right in the community that is not so vulnerable to natural disasters uh, or, or unnatural disasters as they may be. Absolutely. So again, I think if we connect this to, I guess, my previous scholarship around fear, I think that what can happen with talk of climate change is people are paralysed by fear. You know, they don't know how to move forward. They don't know what to do and, and subsequently do nothing. Or, you know, they make maybe minor changes, adjustments to their lives and then feel powerless. So I guess what we're trying to do in Indi, and, and the story of Indi as an electorate is a really interesting one and about people really participating in their democracy and trying to take control in a good way. So, you know, this, this story of community energy is, is really about communities saying, you know what, you know, we, we can develop and we can deliver and we can benefit by producing our own energy. And the government's identified 33 renewable energy zones across the nation. One of them's here in Indi. We know that if we did this right, we could have 10,000 small power stations, essentially, community power stations, and that we could be in control of that. We could have cheaper power and more reliable power in regional communities and, you know, all the bits that go with that about putting it together, about the componentry required for that, around the new skills that could be developed. Opportunities, I think, abound. And uh, I guess I'm about, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna here, but I'm really about painting a picture that says, let's think about the world differently and let's not think massive. This is about kind of think small, think big and thinking small, bring it back to your community and saying, what is it that we want and how can we benefit? 
And, you know, we've got really good examples of that here. And I uh, don't know if you've ever been to our little town here called Yak and Danda, Osha, but uh, it's a great little joint. And the guys in Yak and Danda are on their way to being a totally renewable town by 2022. Wow. It's really cool. They're producing their own energy. Soon they'll have enough energy for the whole town. They're doing a feasibility study at the moment for energy energy storage. I'm laughing at Wolfie now. And uh, small towns up and down our electorate, down in Euroa, similar. It's a town that's right at the edge of the grid and has is quite vulnerable to poor supply, so they're fixing it themselves, working alongside industry and uh, really doing something about it. So what I'm doing at the moment is a, a part of this whole participate in your democracy move, which is INDI, it's about doing politics differently, is a community co-design process to bring people from all over the nation together to contribute to a discussion paper I've put together. I'm asking people to put in a submission by the 3rd mm. of July and uh, then uh, we've got a, an expert panel of local people and uh, we're going to take a policy proposition to Angus Taylor, Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction, and say, we've got a plan for you. I mean, you've got, we've got some stuff you could say yes to and all of these people are behind it. And, you know, that's I'm really committed to doing that. I'm, I'll be ready to do that about September, I think. So uh, that's really exciting to me. I'm a big fan of democratic reform. I think politicians are very important. I might even just end up as one one day. I just don't know yet. But I do know that I don't personally feel that, and you may feel differently about this because you're within it, I do not feel that the problems that we have right now, which were created by the system that we have, are solvable by the system that we have. I feel there needs to be a change to the system if we are going to change the problem. And democratic reform is one of those things. Tell me more about what... How did you get involved in participatory democracy or what? where was your first exposure to it? How did you find out about it? Yeah, so it's a bit of a family story, I suppose, but it's an indie story really, Osha. I, I mean, I had as much interest in politics as plenty of other people, bit of an armchair expert, bit of a yell at the telly, bit of a, a solid consumer of political uh, journalism. Never, ever saw myself beyond that, but, you know, I lived... Uh, I've lived up in this electorate for 30 years, 30, nearly 35 years in, in the electorate of Indi. And in, during that time, most of that time, it was considered a very safe Liberal Party seat. And it was around the time of the national apology, you know, Kevin Rudd making that national apology, the whole parliament coming together. And our local member didn't participate, was not in the parliament when that happened and and had strong views around the stolen generation that were not aligned with my values or indeed with the values of many, many people in this electorate. So a group of good citizens got together one day uh, in a back room at the local library in Wangaratta and said, you know what, do you reckon we could do a bit better than this? Is this how we want the nation to see us? Do you think there's anything we can do about this? And anyway, they determined to go out and have this great big community conversation. So they started kitchen table conversations all up and down the electorate. It was like people getting together, asking a set of questions and formulating a report that came back to the group. They pulled them all together and then they went along to the local federal MP and said, we've done all this work around what people are thinking and what they'd want and how they want you to represent them and what they stand for and what the values are. And our local MP at the time said, people in this electorate are not interested in politics. So from that moment on, this group of 12 who formed a group called Voices for Indi determined that we should run an independent candidate who was Kathy McGowan and try and make the seat marginal was the thought, just to try and get a bit of colour and movement. 
And as many people who are listening may know, that was the greatest upset of the 2013 election, that the seat of Indi fell to an independent first time in history. And uh, that was pretty incredible. And, and I was part of that large group of volunteers. My husband and son were really involved in Kathy's campaign and that original group of 12. And it was so exciting to know that you could actually do something uh, when you thought you couldn't do anything. So I, I guess I, I, uh, I got excited by that, as did many, many people in this electorate. And then Kathy was uh, MP for two terms and, and that was just really wonderful. And then, of course, we had to determine that uh, Kathy said she was going to retire. So we, we weren't prepared as an electorate to say we're just going to hand it back to the major parties. And in the end, we had a community process to invite someone to be the, the new candidate. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the pre-selections that you see in the major parties. It was a great big town hall meeting and uh, folks who were a bit interested stood up and through like a citizen's jury, we had to come to 100% consensus about who was going to be put forward as the candidate. So it was, it was determined that we would do that. Uh, if it took all day, it took all day. It did take a fair bit of the day. And anyway, I became the candidate and amazingly, yeah, won the election just last year and that, that made history for, for the nation too, first independent to follow an independent. So that's pretty cool. We, we think that we can participate in our democracy really effectively here in India. Yeah, but the people of your seat aren't interested in, in politics, naturally. No, that's right. No, 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 not one bit. You know oh, what's really cool, Osha? One of the things that uh, we do here in Indi is that anyone in the community, anybody at all, if they're interested, they can come with me to Canberra when Parliament's sitting. We have this Volunteers in Canberra program. So, you know, you can come up and spend the week with me and take part in every, you know, all the meetings I go to, get a real sense of how it works, I write a few speeches, yeah, we have this huge waiting list of people who want to participate that wow. way to truly see how government works in the nation's capital. So we take it pretty seriously. We really mean it when we say participate. I mean, that's extraordinary that you want to involve people like that because I think a large part, and I've, I've spoken about this on this show, I think a large part of why this system is the way this system is, is that the barrier to entry for, I don't know, it's the people's house, we elect the people to be our representatives, <laughs> but the barrier to entry between us and them, besides that once every four years or three years to tick a box or put a number in a yeah. box, is vast. And the ability to actually talk to your local representative, and particularly if you're not a kind of person that would vote for that local representative, their willingness to even consider what you have to say is limited, as was evidenced by the quote that you gave us before about, uh, you know, mm. an incumbent uh, Liberal Party. It's a Conservative Party, sorry, if people listening overseas. We're not Liberal when we talk about Liberal Parties. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's really weird, I know, but that's just how it is. When you're putting policies together, sorry, Wolf's just trying to eat a, a pop filter right now. When, I know, it's really tasty. Let me give you something else to eat. Hang on, mate. Hold your fire. I really should have brought some snacks down. Uh, here you go. Grab that. You love that, don't you? There you go. I think he's getting sick of that thing. Uh, he might be. I'm just trying to think of what other baby-friendly things I might have here for him to play with. Oh, that's exciting. Look at that. You haven't played with that yet. When it comes time to putting policy together and putting this energy plan together for the area, which, let's be honest, mm. not only does it mean energy uh, you know, stability and energy security for the area, but jobs, because that stuff all needs to get installed and maintained and looked after. And that's, yep. you know, jobs for the area. And, you know, that's the stuff that people like because, you know, we like food on the table like anybody. How much participation is there? Yeah, well, 
at the moment, for example, there's if we talk about this co-design process for community energy, you know, there's there's around a, a hundred, bit over a hundred community energy groups across Australia. Twelve of them are in Indi. Every one of those groups has been participating through workshops. We've had national webinars. We've got submissions now coming in from all over the nation around this policy. So I, again, I think that gives people some confidence to say, well, uh, here's a way of doing politics whereby the people have a real say in the detail of what a policy can look like. Uh, so not just kind of shooting the breeze and sending off a, you know, a complaining email to a minister saying, we think you're rubbish. This is about saying, okay, we think some of your energy policy is rubbish, but here's, here's a really cogent way of looking at it. And this is where we think uh, some government assistance could make a difference. And we're fair income about it. And we think you should listen to us about this. And then to have an MP, in, in my case, an independent MP, who is the vehicle to take that forward. So it's my job, you know, my job I take so seriously that I'm an advocate and a representative. So it's not about what Helen Haynes thinks. It's about what does my community think? What are they telling me? How they want this to be? And how can I best work with them and the government of the day, whoever the government is, to bring that to reality? And I guess it's why I love being an independent, actually, because, you know, I'm not locked into any ideology. I'm not locked into the party saying, Helen, you can make speeches this week about these topics. Since I've been an MP, I've made around 70 speeches in Parliament around a range of topics that matter to the people of India. And, you know, in every piece of legislation that comes before the House, I have to look at every single piece. I don't vote as a block with the party. So I look at them all and I, and I apply a decision-making grid to that. I ask myself straight away, you know, what impact does this legislation have on the people of Indi? What does it mean for rural and regional Australia? Is it ethical? Is it good governance? What are the politics of this? So every single time I do that and I try to reach a decision that aligns with the values as I see them and if I'm not sure about the detail, which is, you know, of course often the case, I reach back in to the community and ask them um, as best I can. <laughs> uh, you know, what do you think about this? How would it impact you? So... Yeah, that's kind of the way that I do. It's what I call, what Indi calls the Indi way. It's about, we think it's about doing politics a bit differently. When you mentioned that you are going to pull the participation of the community's ideas together, you're going to have people submit ideas as to, you know, what's the way forward here as far as energy in our community and our electorate, a very large electorate, which does include, you know, places like Falls Creek, people, places, Mount Hoffman, people are yeah. very familiar with these places. I'm on board. I'm like, yeah, I could probably do that. And then you got to the part where I'm going to take it to Angus Taylor, who, if you're listening years from now, is a minister and he's on the conservative side of politics and he's um, somewhat, uh, how shall I put this, staunch in his views. Um, I've written to him. He actually wrote me back. It was quite funny, actually. It was a beautiful stationery coming from his, uh, his office. It's quite thick parchment. Angus's office, I might say. It is. You've got one too. I was like, this is so sweet, sweet tax dollars paying for this. How do you work your way up to, because I can only think that that sort of thing could be easily very confrontational or very easily be dismissed. Months and months and months of hard work and community love and empathy and passion and real humans putting real ideas towards a real impact on their real life can be dismissed in a blink by someone who just goes, yeah, whatever. How do you 
work towards that kind of meeting and, and how do you prepare yourself for that? Because th- I'm asking because this a, a lot of people, we may not all be facing Angus Taylor with a clean energy plan, uh, but we all have difficult mm. things we need to have conversations about. So how do you yeah. how do you prepare yourself for that kind of conversation? Oh, sure. Um, I think life is about trying to form relationships with people, try to get to know people a bit and try to be your best self. So, you know, mm. I, I can't be Angus, uh, you know, and I, and I can't control what Angus does. So, you know, I think uh, one of the very first meetings I had when I became an MP was to go along and, and see Minister Taylor. And, I, and I, you know, I, asked, I rang up and uh, said, no, I'd like to have an appointment to see Minister Taylor. I want to tell him about community energy. And, yeah, he's, he said, sure, come along, let's meet. So, um, yeah, I went, went into his office, no problem there. We sat down, we talked about all the opportunities in Indi. It's really interesting, Indi. I mean, there's lots of uh, opportunities, not only for solar, but also for pumped hydro. And, and wind energy, showed him a map of that, just, you know, gave him a bit of an idea of what's going on, told him about the groups that are working towards this. There's nothing confrontational in that. It was really a first meeting to describe what's going on in the electorate and said to him, you know, this is my aim in a year or so, you know, a bit over a year, I'll, I'll, I want to present to you an opportunity to help us to achieve this. And he's really very interested in what we had to say, actually. And so I didn't go near and I didn't feel the need to, to talk about retiring coal stations or to talk about the Paris Agreement or to talk about any of the things that generally are the, are the issues that put people into corners. So I didn't feel a need to go there. That was not the premise of the conversation. So that's where we began. I've been to see him a couple of times since. Um, I've made several speeches about this in the House. We've had opportunities to apply for some government grants to help along some of our microgrid projects, for example. He was very pleased to tell me one of my little towns got one recently. So he knows what I'm on about. This will be no surprise to Minister Taylor. So, you know, I'm, I'm a realist too, you know, he's just probably not going to say yes to everything, but I'm hoping he's going to say yes to a few things, quite a few things. And again, if he doesn't, I'm going to ask him why, and I'm going to keep at it really. You know, you can't expect to get a full win every time or first time necessarily, but I am pretty optimistic. And I think, uh, again, the voices of the people are the best voices you can have. So I'm asking people not only to contribute to this discussion paper and you know, if they go onto my website at helenhaines.org, anyone all over the world can have a look at that and I'd love to hear from anyone. This is really democratic. When it comes to it, I'm asking people then to write to their own MP, whatever electorate they're in, to say to your MP, hey, um, Helen Haynes, member for Indi, she's going to take this to Minister Taylor. If you get a chance to talk to Minister Taylor, tell him to say yes to this, hey. We should all be doing this, you know. So I want to garner as much support as I can. And and I hear you when you say, you know, that many people feel like they go to their local MP and they may not necessarily vote for them or agree with them, but you should be able to be represented by whoever is your local MP. So if you write to them and say, community energy, that's looking great. People of Indi have got a fantastic idea. You should jump on with this. Then all power to you. I think you should do that. Why is it important for us to take more participation in our democracy? Because I really didn't care for years. And then um, I got in a relationship in my 20s with someone who was quite politically active and I was like, oh, okay, so this stuff does actually. I'm, I, be, I became a citizen. I was only 25 when I became a citizen. I was I was not born here. And I, beca- I, be- I became a citizen so I could vote. So I, I, like, willingly wanted to participate. But I can understand why, particularly if you're a younger person, you're like, I just don't care. They all fight for the same team anyway. You know, it doesn't, you know, why should I care? Why should I bother? It doesn't affect me. 
Yeah. Well, I can't change anything. No, 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 it doesn't affect me. Well, I, I can't change a thing. Why should I care? Yeah. Well, I, I'm here to tell you, you can change a thing. Uh, and the fact that you're even talking to me, most people doing a podcast want to talk to somebody who is a minister in the government or or someone really well known. But I think the fact that you're talking to me as a community independent and I'm sitting in my kitchen in Wangaratta in northeast Victoria and I spent most of my life as a midwife and a rural health researcher and only just come to parliament in the last uh, year is to say Uh here's someone who decided really with their community to actually have a voice and to take this stuff seriously and look at what you can achieve. You actually can. You can change the course of history. You can change your representation. You can have a say. You can engage with a parliamentarian in a real and tangible way if you vote a bit differently or if you see the world in a new lens and you bring people along with you. It's really important. You know, we've seen the rise of populism all over the world. I think it's creeping in here. I think that is the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing. And, you know, when I look at little Wolf, he's sitting on your <sighs> knee then. Uh, I don't want him to be in a nation that is governed by a populist leader. <sighs> I want him to be in a nation whereby we have an ethical, credible government that we can trust. I I think there's never been a more important time to engage with your democracy and to hold it dear. And that means more than, you know, at least in Australia we have compulsory voting, which means people turn up to vote, thank goodness. But I'm asking people to take it even more seriously than that. Really interrogate your vote. You know, find out what, you know, there's a lack of transparency in political donations. Uh, We don't have a Federal Integrity Commission to deal with corruption in politics. Uh, You need to be savvy about who you're voting for. You need to be engaged with your local MP. Ask them questions. Ask them to explain. Look for the truth. And, you know, it can be hard to find, but I think it's about teaming up with other people and asking questions and being engaged. Writing to MPs at times can seem like maybe a futile exercise, but get enough people writing to the MP. Write a letter to the newspaper. Parliamentarians look at that stuff. They truly do. And, you know, I know your friend actually ran ran as an independent in Warringah, I think. Jimmy, yeah, James. And he did really well. A lot of people don't know the numbers. Jimmy got 11,000 votes in Warringah. There's the seat that uh, he was running up against Tony Abbott (laughs) and Tony won with 55 or 54,000 votes that year. Bear in Mm. mind that Jim's campaign had about 5,000 bucks, all right? (laughs) Tony apparently spent around a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, now this is the thing, and this is what Australians should be really mad about, you know? I reckon we've got to get a lot, you know, you know that program, you know, Sean McAuliffe, Mad as Hell? Well, you know, my name's Helen and sometimes I'm mad as hell too, but, you know, I, I think the whole political donations thing is outrageous. We have a situation where, the you know, the most cashed up person can win and, that, and that's not good. Uh, but, again, I'd say have a look at Indi where it was such a grassroots campaign and we've won three elections now with people on the ground. So, you know, in Cathy's campaign in 2016 there was around 800 volunteers out there at every polling booth handmade signs, you know, it was pretty uh, school fate-like. And uh, when I ran 2019, we doubled that. You know, we had twice as many. We had around 1,600 volunteers on on election day at every polling booth up and down this vast electorate. We had all these orange cockatoos, which was a bit of of our uh, (laughs) bit of fun. And uh, we managed to beat the big guys. And, like, they pour a lot of money into campaigns, of course, the major parties. So, you know, it can be done. It can be done with people power. It takes a lot of dedication and time, but I think it's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial. 
you spent a, a lot of your career, and I've got to say, like, we had a few false starts with Wolfie. We had a threatened preterm labour. We had, um, we had one where things were going like a steam train. Contractions were, contractions were four minutes apart, and then we got to the hospital, and um, something just wasn't right, and then everything just came to a crushing halt. And all the contractions stopped because Audrey didn't feel safe. She didn't feel private. She didn't feel secure. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And we went home. And then 10 days later, or eight days later or something, Wolfie ended up being born. So we did have contact. We had contact with about five or six midwives, separate midwives, over the course of that adventure. It's an extraordinary job. And in probably the best coaching I've ever seen. And I've had the extraordinary fortune in my job to be backstage. What's backstage? Behind what's in the locker rooms, that's the word, at major sporting events, you know. It's one of the best coaching <laughs> I've ever, ever, ever seen of a person who is literally doing one of the, you know, a most natural, most safest thing that she could ever do. And also at the same time, one of the most dangerous things she could ever do. Mm. And as you mentioned before, you did a lot of study into fear and what fear can do and how a fear of a situation can affect the situation before the situation's even arised, you know, and, and the way you think about it before it happens. There's a tremendous amount of fear around around climate change and an action on climate change. If you were to draw on your, your midwifery experience of dealing with all kinds of mums and dads who are paralysed with fear, what would you say? What would you say to people who are, who are so worried? Well, I would say there's two things you can do. Well, there's probably three. Firstly, educate yourself, understand the facts of climate change and there's untold amounts of information out there, but uh, understand the facts and uh, trust the science, number one. And if ever we've seen how effective it is to trust the science, we've only got to look at our most recent experience with COVID. So I think feel safe in trusting the truth of the science, number one. Number two, act locally. Do what you can in your own patch to get some control. And some of that control means reducing the amount of energy that you use. So do a good audit of your life. Have a look at how you can reduce your own energy footprint. And again, that you know, that may be around the lights in your house. It may be around your capacity to get some solar on your roof. It may be around how often you use your car, when you choose to fly on an aeroplane, whatever it might be. Do your own personal audit that gives you a sense of, I'm actually doing something right now that makes a difference. So that's number two. Number three, think about who you elect to government because the big policy levers are driven by the government of your nation. Do not underestimate the power of you as a citizen and how you vote and how you talk to other people and how you garner a campaign if, you, if you're up for it. Don't be afraid of that. If ever there's something I learnt in this little patch here in rural, rural Australia was don't be afraid to participate in your democracy. It actually feels great. It feels great. You know, you don't have to be an expert on anything. You don't have to know how many gigawatts of this or megawatts of that. You don't have to know foreign policy. You don't have to know any of those things, but you do have to know what are the key values that you hold dear and who is it that's going to sit in the parliament and represent you and stay true to those values. And if you're looking at a candidate in your electorate and you think, I don't think they share the same values as me, you've got to find someone who does. And that may mean your community needs to get together and find yourself a good candidate, find yourself a great independent candidate, I would say. I think one of the greatest opportunities we have in Australia is to grow the crossbench in our federal parliament so we've got a greater diversity of, of voices. We're not just having block votes from people in the major parties. 
I mean, we need to grow the diversity of our parliament across the board. Of course, there's still not enough women. There's not enough people of colour. There's not enough ethnic diversity. There's not enough people representing disability. We need candidates in our parliament that represent that world, that, that replicate us as a community, really. So that's super important. And we need to make sure, too, that we hold our parliamentarians to account. And that's why I've been a a loud champion for a Federal Integrity Commission. It's why I've been talking about that in Parliament repeatedly since I arrived, and I'm determined that we will have a Federal Integrity Commission that can do the job we need it to do. So I think we need to ask a lot, lot more of our Parliament. I think we do. And uh, don't be afraid of that. (laughs) Don't be afraid of that at all. I'm so happy to hear your voice, Uh, not only the the sound of it, but also where it comes from and that that you're in Canberra. I really, 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 really am. Thank you. Oh, just thank you for doing this because I'm sure there's many people listening who, you know, you get this idea, you you know, you see Scott Morrison bring a lump of coal into Parliament. We're like, what? Come on, man. (laughs) You know, we're smart people. We're not idiots. You can't hold that up and say, come on, you can't just make up science pal. Um, so to know that someone who actually, with your voice, is, is there is great. What do you? How do you get through on the tough days, Helen? Obviously, some days don't go great. You, you've got an extraordinary outlook on life, and you know when you bring. Dead, have you lost count of how many babies did you? When did you lose count? How many hundreds, thousands? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know how many, but uh, it's a funny thing. You know, quite a few of them voted for me. I should. <laughs> <You know, laughs> isn't that hilarious? That's I mean, the there best. you go. There's an investment in the future. I love it. <laughs> I was on a, I was on a fun run during the campaign, and I'm running along, and there was people yelling out, "Yeah, hey, Helen Haynes, we're voting for you. You were there when my, you know, when my mum gave birth, or whatever." So, yeah, it's, it's pretty grassroots, isn't it? At that, but, I love no, but it. How do I get by? I get by because I have a whole community of people who help me. That's the other thing about participating in your democracy. You've got a responsibility then to help the person that you elected to parliament. Yeah. Uh, so I I, um, yeah. I get by because I'm doing something that matters and uh, that's always helped me to get by, really has. And on the tough days when you don't want to get out of bed, when you don't want to go and knock on Angus Taylor's door, <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to look after yourself? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I live, uh, live in rural Australia and it's so beautiful. Uh, so I get a lot of energy from nature. I love to go for a bushwalk, really love that. Love to go for a cross-country <laughs> ski. I love to get together with my three kids and my husband. You know, I've got, we've got three kids. We've got a, a Georgia, a Nick and a Will, 30, 28 and almost 26. And uh, they're really cool. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they keep me honest, that's for sure. They hang it on me all the time. So I laugh a lot. I find many things highly amusing. There's many things in Parliament that, I, you know, I've got to keep a straight face. I can't believe I'm seeing it or hearing it. Uh, I'll bet. Yeah, I love to listen to music. I love watching Nordic Noir. That's the other thing I got out of uh, Scandinavia. <laughs> so I'll bet. I watch late night Nordic Noir. And, uh, oh. yeah, I've got to say it is a pretty tiring job at many, many times, long hours. Um, but it's like being a midwife, you know. You put in the long hours in uh, looking after a, a mum and a dad and uh, you see a little baby born. That's a pretty good reward. So I'm hoping my first baby to be born, I'm hoping it's going to be a community energy plan for Australia. So uh, that, that will power my battery for the next election, I reckon. Oh, the, the, the mum pun's going well today. I love it. <laughs> I know. It's bad, Helen, 
You are just an absolute champion. Thank you for persevering with uh, our unexpected third guest. This is the first time that I've had, um, I know, I've, I've never done a two-on-one interview before, but I'm glad Wolfie uh-huh. was here. He's currently eating my headphones, but I'm really glad he was here. He d- he's done really well. He's on one hour and seven minutes, uh, which is pretty epic yeah. for a 10-month-old baby. I, I think it's totally epic. <laughs> you're a dream, and I'm so bloody happy that you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> That is Helen Haynes. That's right. I've got to tell you, man, like I told you at the start, if if there's somebody in your life that is pretty worried, and rightly so because it's shit scary, but this idea that there's nobody who's caring and there's nobody who's working, there are people working very, very hard, and Helen is one of those people, and she deserves all of our support. HelenHaynes.org, H-E-L-E-N-H-A-I-N-E-S. .org. You've got till the 3rd of July to contribute to her plan, her action plan, and I would highly recommend just getting involved and doing what she's, you know, she's talking about participating and doing your part. And but yeah, I've talked about it on the show heaps. I spoke about, you know, what it was when I called my MP. You've got to do it. We've got, we're running out of time. When, you're, when your kids look up at you when you're on their 30th birthday and go, tell me, what did you do? You want to be able to tell them, everything I fucking could every day, all right? You don't want to shrug your shoulders and go, ah, I thought about buying a jet ski. I scrolled through some shit on Instagram. You know, I got into a flame war with someone, with a robot on Twitter, <laughs> whose job it was to just completely make me upset and therefore distract me from what it was I was actually doing. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So get on it. Reach out to your local member, to your community, to your city council, shy council, whatever it is. Get active, get involved. We have to do this and we have to do it now. HelenHaynes.org is where you can start. Thank you very much to Andy Ma who cut this episode and did his very best to get the louder interjections of my son out of the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Rachel Barrett for being a brilliant human being and, and sending me the most wonderfully eclectic music every morning. Hayley Van Spania for sorting out all the Instagram and making sure that I see everything that everybody sends to me on Instagram without having to look at Instagram. I really appreciate that. Audrey, my beautiful wife, who I adore. Wolfgang for being the best co-host I could have asked for. Mike Mills for making the music. You for listening and getting me to the point where members of parliament are calling me and Rachel asking if they can please come on our show. You're the best. You win. Please tell a friend about the show. Please share it with someone who you feel needs to hear it. I've got to go. Got to go feed a baby. Until we speak next time on Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.